Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Kingdom of God. We're glad you joined us again as we pursue our ongoing discussion of what is undoubtedly at the center and the heart of everything that Jesus taught, the good news or gospel about the kingdom of God. We make no apology for turning our attention to the most basic of all biblical questions, namely, what is the gospel? What is it that we are supposed to believe in order to join those who are on the way to salvation? And there can be only one answer to that question if we examine carefully the records of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, it is clear that Jesus was constantly preoccupied with the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. At the beginning of our gospel records, we find Jesus bursting upon the public with a brand new message, namely that the time was at hand, the kingdom of God was about to come, and in view of that great news, everybody was urged to repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Indeed, in the very first verse of Mark's gospel, he introduces his whole book by calling it the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then down in the 14th and 15th verses, we have Jesus announcing the gospel, namely the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the phrase kingdom of God was not unfamiliar to Jesus' audiences. It was probably about as common a term as our term, presidential election, or the general election in England. And it was a word firmly rooted in the Hebrew Scriptures, what we mistakenly really call the Old Testament. So where in those Hebrew Scriptures should we look to find a definition of the kingdom of God? Well, a classic passage that would have thrown light immediately on what Jesus meant by the kingdom was found in Isaiah chapter 52. And in the seventh verse of Isaiah 52, we read these words, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, or gospel, who announces peace, who brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation, and says to Zion, or Jerusalem, Your God has become king. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices, they shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. There are a number of key words in that section of Scripture in Isaiah 52, verses 7 onwards, which are obviously principal words found in the New Testament also. First of all, in verse 7, somebody is bringing good news. That's the word for gospel, exactly the same word as was taken up by Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And that gospel has to do with the time when Jerusalem is to be told that your God has become king. Now, Jewish commentators recognized that that phrase, your God has become king, was equivalent to the kingdom of God. I must tell you that it was customary in the synagogues to comment on the text of Scripture. And a standard comment would have been 
when they arrived at this phrase, your God has become king, the comment would have been that this was indeed the coming of the kingdom of God. Note that in verse 8 of Isaiah 52, it was a time when God is going to restore Jerusalem or Zion. The reason for that restoration is given us in verse 9. Jerusalem there is described as having waste places. Obviously then Jerusalem had undergone some type of terrible judgment from which it needed to be restored. At that time then God was going to comfort his people and redeem Jerusalem. In verse 10 we read that God has made his salvation known in the eyes of the whole world. All of the ends of the earth are going to know of the salvation that God brings when he restores Jerusalem by comforting the city and announcing this as good news. Here you have a complex of ideas which contribute to these central New Testament concepts of gospel and kingdom. So at the heart of what Jesus announced then was an Old Testament idea, an idea drawn from the Hebrew Bible. I want you to note that it was thoroughly geographical and political and also spiritual at the same time. One of the greatest mistakes one can make in reading the Bible is to separate the political from the spiritual. It may be customary for us to make that kind of distinction, but the Bible writers do not. You can have a spiritual event which is also a political event. You can have a political event which is at the same time a spiritual event because God is involved in some political action. What we have in Isaiah 52 verses 7 onwards is the announcement in vision some 800 years before the time of Jesus of the great event to which the whole of the Hebrew Scriptures look forward to, that's to say the coming of a time when it could truly be said, your God has become king. Now notice carefully, we're not talking here about the so-called sovereignty of God. The Bible, of course, understands that God is sovereign from one end of eternity to the other. But here we're looking at a special time when God becomes king in a new sense. He inaugurates a kingdom. He intervenes to establish his rule in Jerusalem and to rescue Jerusalem from a state of desolation and devastation. This is what the Hebrew Bible means by the coming of the kingdom of God. And so you see, when Jesus arrived in Galilee and made the astonishing declaration that the time was at hand, the kingdom of God was coming soon, this would create a national stir. We find in the accounts in the Gospels that the whole of the nation, that's to say great multitudes of people, responded first of all to the declaration of John the Baptist that the kingdom of God was at hand. And a similar excitement was provoked by Jesus' same message of the near approach of the coming kingdom. That is the setting in which Jesus' opening message about the kingdom of God must be understood. It is quite wrong for us to invent our own ideas about what we think the kingdom of God is. We must first pay careful attention to Jesus' Jewish environment and the whole history of the people of Israel and their prophets for thousands of years before Jesus arrived on the scene. The kingdom of God was a thoroughly political, geographical, and yet also spiritual event. It was going to be a time when God intervened radically to change the structures of present conditions on the earth, to alter forever the way nations govern themselves, 
and to change in perpetuity the state of man and his affairs on this planet. You may remember from a previous program that we'd observed a famous quotation from an expert on the Bible who points out that the concept of the kingdom of God involves in a real sense the total message of the Bible. Not only does it loom large in the teachings of Jesus, it's to be found in one form or another through the length and breadth of the Bible. From the time when Abraham set out to seek the city whose builder and maker is God, right until the end of the New Testament where the holy city, New Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven from God. End of quotation. I want you to see that it is essential if we're going to enjoy reading the Bible and get the meaning of it as it was intended for us, that we must get hold of the big picture. We must grasp the overarching and overall plan of God. And that plan may be summed up in a single concept, God's intention to establish the kingdom of God upon this earth. That was the topic that was most favorite in the teaching of Jesus Christ himself. That's why then he draws on the Hebrew Bible, on those precious scriptures in which he'd been nurtured by his family, when he introduces his main concept, his master idea, namely the good news of the kingdom of God. And so Isaiah 52, verses 7 and onwards there, are an indispensable as background to the introductory teaching of Jesus Christ about the kingdom of God. Now, there are other verses in Isaiah where the Jews were in the habit of commenting that their meaning was precisely the same, that the time of the kingdom of God would be arriving. One is found in Isaiah 31, and in verse 4 we read that the Lord of hosts will come down to wage war on Mount Zion, that's in Jerusalem, and on its hill. And there the commentators uh, from the Jewish world of the time of Jesus would almost certainly have read the following comment, the kingdom of God is revealed. So then the kingdom of God and its coming here obviously has a military aspect. It's a time when God himself is going to wage war and bring peace to Jerusalem and restore it, just as we saw in the 52nd chapter. And also then in the 24th chapter of Isaiah, and verse 23, we read the following words, Then the moon will be abashed, and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. Once again here, the commentators from the Jewish world remark that this must be a description of the time when God's kingdom is going to be revealed. And so we could sum up our findings this way, by saying that the kingdom of God is something geographical, something political, something military, and something at the same time spiritual. It would be quite wrong to reduce that kingdom of God to only a kingdom reigning in the heart of man. That certainly is part of it as we prepare for the great day when the kingdom arrives. But to say that the kingdom of God is no more than love, joy, and peace in our hearts now is quite inaccurate and makes the mistake of ignoring the fact that Jesus' teaching was thoroughly rooted and grounded in the Hebrew Scriptures. And the Hebrew Scriptures certainly have much to say about the kingdom of God which cannot and must not be reduced to simply the idea that God is to reign in our hearts. And so if we bear in mind then 
that those Old Testament texts are formative in the mind of Jesus as he announces the kingdom, we will begin to see the grand overall design that God is working out here on the earth, namely his plan to establish the kingdom of God on earth by sending Jesus the Messiah back to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And the essence of the gospel then in making that announcement was to invite men and women of all races and tribes and languages to take part in that kingdom as executives with Messiah in a new world government. We invite you in your Bible study to see whether that view of the kingdom of God as both a political and spiritual event of the future and one that is also geographical and tied to this earth, we invite you to see whether that makes good sense of the text of Scripture as you perhaps reread it now with that idea in mind. Above all, don't forget that the gospel began with Jesus. Paul is not the originator of the Christian gospel. Jesus is the prototype preacher and heralder of the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the one who offers us salvation both to Jew and Gentile through his saving message of the gospel about the kingdom. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to check our findings carefully in the Bible. Look up the verses we've been referring to in their context and remember that Jesus was a Jew whose teaching must be understood in his own first century Jewish environment. Join us again as we continue to probe these most basic questions about life and immortality as Jesus offers it to us in his good news about the kingdom of God.